You are not going to believe what happened. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, you got to go there. You are not going to believe what happened to this early church. This vintage church. This beginning church. I may not do a great job at explaining it today, but I can guarantee you one thing, that this is the, most, the least boring story in the Bible. Uh, so, this vintage church last week, we learned how <laughs> these, these disciples, these friends of, of Jesus, um, were left. Jesus left them. You know the story. Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, He rose again. Um, and when He rose again, the disciples' first response was like, Yes! He's back! He conquered death. He is our Savior. He is our Rabbi. He is our Teacher. He is our Master. He is our everything. And He's here for us again. And then Jesus had to break the news to them that He was leaving again. And again, imagine these disciples. They're just... The most average B-team, junior varsity guys, just like you or I, they, 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 there could be. And their response is probably this, this like, normal response that you would have. Like, wait a minute, you're leaving, you're dying again? Alright, who's coming after you? Like, and then you start blaming each other. Who's going to betray Jesus again? And like, this whole emotional roller coaster that Jesus puts them on by telling them that he's leaving. Um... With Jesus leaving, he leaves this, this caveat. He leaves this, this, this good news. That the Comforter, His Spirit, the Helper that's coming, it'll be better when He comes. Better than me, Jesus, me being here with you guys. Better. Like, not, he's just as cool. Like, we're, tomorrow, kids, we're having a sub, and they're really nice, and they're going to they're gonna teach you things, and you maybe have some playtime, and, and like, it, it's not that at all. This is Jesus saying, the King of kings, this saying, I am God with skin. I am the Son of God. I have come to redeem and save the world. But he's saying, Holy Spirit, that's coming. It's going to be better. You just Wait. And they didn't know what that looked like. They, didn't, they heard helper. They heard comforter. They heard the deep the depth and the meaning of all that. And I believed that they believed. I believed that they believed Jesus when he said it'll be better. I, I, I think they got that, like, in their, their head. But they didn't fully grasp what that meant in their heart. And they didn't fully grasp what that meant in their life. And how this would radically fill them to change the world. Because just like you or me... Left alone, we're a mess. And anytime we hear any type of like hopeful message or hopeful like I can do this or I can conquer this or I can build this or I can fix this, you know and I know when we look in the mirror, we know what we see. And we see something that's so uh, finite. But when the infinite God comes to fill you, anything is possible. 
With God, all things are possible. And so you know, and I know, that in our lives, as God filling us, it makes everything not just possible, um, but probable. And so for these guys, they, we talked last week, that the main context of what we talked about was Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and, upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The focal point here last week was that you will be my martyrs. That was part of the original meaning. You will be my martyrs. You will be my proclaimers. Of what? The good news. Of what? The gospel. And where are you going to do this? Like at your home? Maybe your church? Maybe your community? No, guys. You're going to Jerusalem. Judea. Samaria. And the ends of the earth. Now you and I read that and we know, we know the story. Because this happened 2,000 years ago. And there's so much that we're going to explore in this, this uh, series between uh, whoever's teaching up here. There's so much that we're going to explore as far as the church history and what has happened in the last 2,000 years. And how the gospel has literally spread around the world to this city that you're in right now. To this place right now as a result of what has happened in this vintage church. And so our heart and our desire is to look back and to look forward and to see what is the vintage church. What is this church, this early church? What did they have? What did they, that we want and we want to consume? And then like, where are we missing it? And then there's other parts, as, as Pastor Cameron mentioned last week, um, <laughs> what parts of the early church can we just be like, okay, let's not make those mistakes. You know, like let's not... Go there. Let's be faithful to the word and faithful to God in his word. Um, and so this is the whole heart behind Vintage Church. But ultimately, last week, our first perspective, when Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to be my martyrs, the whole point of it was that you're going to be hunted, killed, persecuted, chased, crushed for your faith in me, in Jesus. That didn't go over so well with them. They knew it wouldn't just require their life, but they knew that while they were, get this, it wouldn't just require their life, but they knew that while they were alive, it would require every bit of them already dying to themselves. Because, guys, you can't be fully alive to Christ unless you're fully dead to yourself. And if you're here today and you're thinking that church is just about being good, that's so far and actually a false pretense of the whole idea of the gospel. And maybe some of you guys have come in this room, as I have in my life many times, walked into this building, knowing my own wicked heart, knowing my own wicked mind, and my own wicked actions, and feeling horrible. And maybe you're here today and that's how you feel. But praise God, it doesn't matter how you feel. You see, they went to the ends of the earth to proclaim the truth. So you may feel a certain way, and there may be legitimacy to how you feel, and God's not like, I don't care how you feel. He does care how you feel. 
But there's all these things that we do in our lives and these perspectives and these things that we believe based on our actions or our sin or just our sin nature, believing that that defines us. And Christ came to abolish that. He came to free us from that. He came to say it's not about what you're doing. It's about what I've done. It's, your faith is not about how good you are or bad you are. Your faith is a representation of who you believe Jesus is and what he did for you. He paid the sacrifice for you. He died for you so that you could be fully alive. So that you could die to yourself and not be consumed by the sins and the choices that we make. So we've got it completely backwards. And the gospel is to set us free from that. And the disciples knew that. And if they didn't necessarily know that, they had to experience it every day as they renewed their mind. And in this story, you're going to see how their everything was not just renewed, it was flushed out and filled and overflowed with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, last week, we again, we hit the point of how the platform of their life at times was pain. The platform by which they would proclaim truth was pain, was suffering, was persecution. That's the church history. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's how we are moved. That's actually historically how they went from Jerusalem to Judea. They got, most of their leaders were, they, they literally were killed. And so they're like, we got to get out of here. And God's like, finally. God didn't persecute them. God didn't chase them and murder them. But God is like using that. He's like, finally. You're moving out to where you're supposed to go. Before they moved out, this happened. This is what I wanted to get to. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived... So this is known as Pentecost. It's known as, as for us, like it wasn't like invented that day. This was a part of the feast that the Jewish culture had and still have. And it's a different perspective for them than it is for us. This is what we would believe is the birth of the New Testament church. Um, and Pentecost, meaning it was 50 days after the Passover, which was another feast that we'll get into eventually and, and more um, but Pentecost, meaning the 50th, was the Pentecost celebration for them. But on that day, it says that they were gathered together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled. Let me back up. They were all filled. You get that? There's a lot of alls in this passage. Darren so eloquently pointed out to me yesterday. There are a lot of alls in this book. And you need to hear that before we go any further. The gospel is for all. Jesus came as a ransom for many. Many, meaning all, all, right? All right, we can dive into that if you're like, all right, that doesn't make sense. What, what's, email me later. Um, all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak 
in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Do you imagine? Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, and at this sound, the multitude came together. It means everybody came, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these... Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Like, aren't these guys from Louisiana? <laughs> and I should, I should be more... Aren't they from Tennessee? Um, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia or however you say that and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from even Rome. Both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians. They better brought coffee. And we hear them telling in all their own tongues the mighty works of God. In awe, we're amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking, saying they were filled with new wine. I love the Word of God, and I, lo- I, I love looking at different translations and, and different like uh, commentaries and perspectives of what the, the original language means and says. And, 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 and I use, I'm preaching right now out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. And um, I love how, just in general, the Word of God uses words. But one thing the Word of God does not do, one thing that God did not do in His inspiration of His Word through 40 different authors, one thing He doesn't do is what we in the English language, as Americans probably more, uh, more clearly do, is we say, like, I am so hungry, or I am so, so, so like, like this. Like, it's, it's going to be... Uh, stinking awesome and, and like we use these adjectives that actually make no sense and even curse words that only you guys use right um i'm just kidding <laughs> curse words that, that that we use in our country like if you look at the like the meaning like what this isn't that only doesn't make sense that sounds really dumb like that doesn't make any sense at all but all back to the holy word the holy bible when they use words like bewildered and amazed and perplexed and astonished, they're not talking about just another day. They're talking about big picture, miraculous, overwhelming, unbelievable things. Supernatural things. Things that only God can do. Things that only God can bring. Things that only God could reveal our eyes to see hear, and experience. And so, there's this, there's this challenge, which we see at the end of this, this passage in the two responses, but there's this challenge in the vintage church. And there's this challenge in Conduit Church. And there's this challenge to the big capital C church in the world right now to truly define what this looked like. To truly define what this was like. I like reading children's Bibles, and I like understanding the basic meaning. 
And I like imagining what this was really like. And I would dare say that, man, you could not depict in the Hollywood could not depict accurately or the miraculous bigness of this moment. God had to, God did a miraculous thing to build their faith to prove their faith and ultimately prove in the capability of Almighty God through the Holy Spirit filling you and me. This is the beautiful picture of the Gospel. And this is the beautiful picture of the vintage church. Now, um, as you know, uh, we have uh, Conduit North uh, on the north side and, and we and them are, I shouldn't say we and them, we are teaching the same thing this year. We're teaching parallel, and there's going to be a lot of weeks where, where uh, whether it's Pastor Ben or Pastor Cameron or myself uh, or Katie or Quint um, are up here teaching. There's going to be times where we're going to be teaching over there, and they're going to be, te- like, all, it's going to be intermingling and, and, and lots of different teaching and different perspectives. But what Cameron said uh, last night, was so true that there is when you read this passage there's a lot of people in this room based on your church experience or reading this for the very first time there's a lot of different responses as there was that day even as miraculous like they were eyewitnesses eyewitnesses not only to just what had happened here but like just just like a chapter before seeing a guy who was dead for three days, who claimed he was God, rise again, and now they're talking with, like, they've seen the miraculous, but yet they still, at the end of this, questioned, what does this mean? Or are these people drunk? And so, when we immediately read this passage, we hear tongues, and we think, oh, here we go, this is it. Time to talk about tongues, all right? And then that makes everybody uncomfortable, and it makes some people excited, like they're on the edge of their seat. And there's this thing that happens, and there is a place to be talking about this. And there is a place to be talking about the gift of tongues, and what that was like then, and, and, and what that means now, and how the practical nature of, of, of the gift of it, and how this carries out. And not just uh, the facts, but like your experiences, or, or your lack of experiences with how this takes place in Christianity. This right here is not that. This is not the gift of tongues. This right here is simply explained about what it is, although the bigness of what it is can never be explained or how it happened or how it was miraculous and supernatural. And and it explains it here. And, And again, what I tried to do last week and what I want to do this week again is come to a point where you completely understand the basic nature of what the Word is saying. That's my heart. Before we go any further, because a lot of times passages like this can be a springboard to be able to talk about a soapbox or something that, that is important to the preacher. Um, and that's never our heart, and that's never our direction or our, our aim and so I want you to fully understand that again. Who's there? Who, who's gathered for this feast? Who's gathered together? All those people. Yeah, Jews. People that were from Israel. People that were of the nation of Israel that have now been scattered throughout the world. Now, 
when they scattered throughout the world, it's easy for us to understand that they, whether they were from, whether they were Parthians or Medes or Elamites or residents of Mesopotamia, or all those things that this listens. Now, please, 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 follow me, okay? This is, this is gonna, we're going to go down a little bit, and I just want you to see the bigger picture of what is happening, and I want you to see what that was like then, but you have to understand, the, the place was filled with people from all over the world. They had one thing in common. They were Jews. They were originally from Israel. They were, really, they were originally from that nation that had been scattered. And now they've scattered to their own cultures, to their own languages, to their own lives for generations and generations and generations. You get this idea. I mean, it's so fun to like watch the Olympics or something like that where you see all these people come together around a ball or a a hoop or a net or something, a game. Uh, like, you all, we all understand that. But they don't know our language. They are not our culture. But it's so exciting to bring that together. And that's essentially why they were all there in that place. And just like today, there was all these different languages. And as they were gathered, they were all from, originally they were from, they were Jews. But they were different colors. Different languages. Different cultures. Different perspectives. And here were these B-team disciples <laughs> about to flip it all upside down. <laughs> if these guys from all over the world were anything, they were religious. I mean, again, why were they there? They were there to celebrate a religious practice, a religious feast. And it wasn't like they caught a plane to get there. And this is a huge journey for them. They came from all over the place. And here they are. And these guys, <laughs> these disciples, get in a spot and God starts messing with them and it changes the world. It changes the world. When they began to speak, tongues of fire had filled them and it came in like a rushing wind. It wasn't like it just happened. It was like, whoa, what's with these guys? I mean, something was going on. Rushing wind. And like the atmosphere had changed. And there's these like pictures all throughout the word of when, like in, in history, when God intervened and he changed not just like the atmosphere, but he changed the environment. He took something that was ordinary and he made it absolutely supernatural. He made it unordinary, or is that a word? I'm not sure. But he made it so that this was not a normal thing that happened. Splitting the Red Sea. Flooding the earth. The sun stopping. It's in the middle of the day. Jesus is on the cross and it's completely dark and there's a sudden storm. And here we are not long after that and a rushing wind comes and this miraculous thing happens and they, be they got up and they began to speak after they'd all come together and the whole multitude of all those people from all over the world were gathered together right there and they spoke and they were hearing their own language. 
The craziest thing about it is I'm sure there's probably some app that does that now where you speak or you write or something happens and it translates to different languages. But this was obviously before that, so there's no explanation other than it was God speaking through them. And it was God letting them hear their own language. Even though they were speaking one language, they were hearing in their own language. And what, what they started to notice is that even in the crowd and the multitude, they were hearing like their language that they understood. They were hearing what they, like they got it. They grasped it. Can you imagine that? It was a risk. It was supernatural. It had only one explanation, that it was God. And so two responses at the end of this was, what does this mean? Question mark. What does this mean? God, what are you doing here? Not like, what are you doing here? It's, a, it's an awe. It's a wonder. It's a, God, what? Like, I want to know more. And the other response was, dude, these guys, they're just filled with wine. They're drunk. One response at the end of this, if you're not, no, not following me, I'm in verse 12. Verse 12 gives those two responses. In one response, it talks about how they completely, they didn't necessarily get it. In fact, them getting it was them asking a question. They were left in awe and wonder and amazement. And the other is, these guys are drunk. These guys were accepting what was happening and embracing the mystery of it all. And this group we're essentially writing it all off as fake or hokey. And so there's this response every time God does something. And I'm not just talking about things that happen at church. I'm talking more importantly about the lives and the hearts of the people on this earth. When someone's living a testimony that's been completely changed by God, one way or another, physically, mentally, emotionally, ultimately spiritually. When we look at this, when we respond to this, there's these two responses like, this must be God. I don't get it fully, and like whatever I've got, there's this question mark at the end. And this question mark's got doubts, and this question mark doesn't fully grasp it, but I'm leaning in. And then there's this other response that wants to explain everything away. That just talks it off, writes it off. When we see somebody's life change, when we see the vintage church, when we see church history, it's easy to just write it off. It's easy to belittle it. But you notice here there's two responses. Not five. There's two. I'm ultimately amazed how back to, back to these, these men, these disciples, um, they were willing vessels to be used and filled. But they didn't know what that really meant. They didn't know what God was really calling them to. They didn't know what it meant 
to lead. They didn't know what it meant to organize. They didn't know what it meant to receive power from on high. To receive the mighty works of God. And you know what I think? My personal belief? That the moment that I think that they like got it and they were like, oh man, this really is working, was right here. Chapter 2. Um... Let me find it, sorry. Chapter 2. Ah. Yes, chapter 2, verse 11. Halfway through. The disciples... We hear them telling in our own language, our own tongues, the mighty works of God. You see, it had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with God. And I think for them, for those early Christians, this was the moment that everything changed. This was the moment that they realized that God was actually going to do what He said He was going to do. That He was able to use them. That they were able to be filled. And that Holy Spirit, that this thing is so much better than, like, than Jesus actually being here. And we're not doubting you, Jesus. We know that you're seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. But this Holy Spirit... Woo! Like, this is amazing. He's speaking through me. He's filling me. He's using me. He's making me feel fulfilled and free and forgiven and alive. My life is eternal. And here they are in this moment, and it hit them. And how do I know? Like, I thought I was crazy, but now everybody's crazy. And, like, everybody. Get it? And they're not going crazy. There's no like confusion. There's there's doubters. There's deniers. But there's no confusion. He's not the author of confusion. Here they are in this moment. They get it. They're all talking and singing and praising God for His wondrous works, His mighty works. This is again. It's another word that they're not just throwing out there. It's His mighty works. God is so powerful. And this isn't some like weird, like euphoric, like feeling, and they just felt like so, like they were floating on a cloud. This was power from on high. This was Almighty God becoming onto the people. This was a huge, significant moment. This wasn't just another Sunday morning. This wasn't just another moment where they like, they like, all right, this was a good day at church. Whew, man. Get the handkerchief out. Like this, that was just another good day. This was this was history changing. Um, so you're like, why? And if you're not like, let me just let me just let me just dive in deeper, okay? You're like, okay, so why would God do this? Like, why would he? Why would he essentially? Why would he scatter us at the beginning? Like, why? What? What is so? Um, I'll say the word magical, but I'm not. I'm not talking magic. What is so magical about this moment? What is so astonishing about this moment? What is so miraculous about this moment? It's because for almost the 
The majority of human history, the world has been scattered. The world has been divided. Um, if you would take your Bible and you would go back to Genesis chapter 11. Yes, that's like all the way at the beginning. Genesis chapter 11. And I want to encourage you to earmark that, or if you're using an app, keep that there. And I want to encourage you to dive deeper into this, because we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want you to understand the, the, the bigger picture here. Well, okay, so why did, why did God bring everybody all over the world from different languages in this moment in Jerusalem with these JV, B-team disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, filling them, and then to go again? Because this is the moment that these guys in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago were now supposed to go to the rest of the world and to preach the gospel, proclaim the truth of what God can do, his mighty works, right? Why, did, were, they, why were they scattered in the first place? And people wondered, like, well, how did we get um, people in China and people in Africa and people all of, like, how do we get different languages? And how do, why does everybody look different? And what is, what's the, the significance of, of skin color? And what is the significance of all the beautiful things and all the beautiful people that God made? What is the significance of it? Where did that start? Right here. In Genesis 11. God had made the world the world had turned its back on God, wanted nothing to do but rebel and disobey and, and dishonor God. God sent a flood, and he said, I'm going to destroy this earth. <laughs> and as mean as that sounds, there, there's a way out. There's an exit sign, and it's called an ark. And I'm going to ask this crazy guy named Noah to build an ark. He's going to take all the animals, but this isn't just because I love animals in my creation. Just, just so you know, like that door's open. And Noah and his family were the only ones that actually believed by faith. And they got on the boat. They lived through the flood. The rest of the world was destroyed. The, the water receded. The boat opens. Dry ground. The animals come out. What remains? Noah and his family. Noah had three sons. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Okay, of these three sons represents the ultimate races and cultures of the world. So anytime you want to like talk about racism, you want to talk about superiority, you want to talk about all these different things, read the Word. God made these beautiful people. And God made them for diversity. Because again, like surprise, surprise, Jesus is not white. Jesus is not a white Republican from the middle class. Jesus made... God made the Holy Spirit. They made us all. And in this moment, um, so they all, Hamshim, Japheth, and all their family, they were going, or they were told to be fruitful and multiply. So they, they did. They began to replenish the earth. And that they did. The earth began to fill up again. The earth began to, like the, the cultures of the world, of, of how they like to do things, were still there. They were still, because again, it was represented in Hamshim and Japheth. And in that, they, were, they, were, they had their own way of doing things. They had their own way to celebrate things. But they were completely unified. They had one language at that point. Like a foreign language to them wasn't, it was like foreign. Um... <laughs> <laughs> they, they, yeah. So they got really sophisticated and technologically advanced to the point that they said, you know what? In this chapter, you, you'll see. 
We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower to the heavens. And it's going to be all about us. And it's going to be about all of us attaining and building and reaching heaven. It's about us. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And God is like, uh uh-uh. Uh-uh. And when you first read the story, you begin to think like, oh, God, that was a little reactive. And what he did. And, and I think when you first read it at, at, at a glance, you're like, okay, what God did is he came in and he's like, no, that's not happening. You're, you're unified to rebel against me? Like, I've been there, I've done that. We're not doing this again. And so he sent confusion. And he sent them to have different languages at that moment, as they, were, they had built this tower. And that's why it's called the Tower of Babel. Because that's all they understood with one another, is babbling. I'm not kidding, I'm not making this up. And so they literally, they scattered back to the rest of the world and had their own culture, their own language, their own way of life. And now think about human history. What has happened since then is nothing but division, in war, and superiority, in oppression. Since that moment, that our language and our culture is first. <laughs> that's jacked up. That's not God's desire, and that's not God's design. But that's what happened because of our rebelling against him again. Just we can read the word and just understand that our rebellion against God doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. But God again promised in his word that he would make it all redeemed. Thousands of years passed. All these different languages. And yet still, something happened on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago that brought together what had been divided at the Tower of Babel. And I, want, I, I know maybe you're like, I don't care about history. I don't understand it. You lost me at all that. Just understand that what was divided a long time ago was ultimately united right here in Acts 2. You say, what was, what was united? For a moment, language was united. Like, this isn't like a universal thing now that Christians have their own, like, this whole, like we have our own language, that we don't speak any other language to each other, we just talk. Like, that's not what, what was established here. This was momentary through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit melted away or, or like, got tired and went home and people stopped speaking that language. He wanted to show in that moment that what had been scattered, what had been kicked out, what had been divided because of our rebellion was now being united through one thing, through the Holy Spirit. And in that day, the vintage church, in this day, conduit church, let us be the united church. Not because of your language, not because of your culture, not because of your skin color, not because of this, that, or the other. Let us be united under one thing. The Spirit of Christ. Let's be united under His language. Let's be united under who He is and what He's come to do. Let's fall under His power and not our own. 
And if we learned anything from the Tower of Babel, if we learned anything, those guys were trying to attain heaven on their own. That was a picture of the gospel that ultimately we can never get or build or do anything to attain salvation on our own. That is only done through Jesus Christ. And now Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, residing and filling you and I through our faith. Now, has there, let me just prove, like, final, like, drop the mic moment. Um, what is the most divisive thing in the big church around the world the last 2,000 years? What has probably been the most divisive thing that people disagree on in different churches or denominations or whatever? <laughs> the, the Holy Spirit in general. Think about that. The the very person of the Holy the very person of the Holy Spirit who was sent to unite because of our own junk, because of our own perspectives and stubbornness, um, we've chose to be not unified and divided because of it. So what is God's heart in all this? What is his desire? Jesus' desire, which Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus, Father, and the Holy Spirit are one. Their desire in John 17 was what? That we would be one. So this world is really big right now on um, uh, platforms and Got to be real careful here. Um, protests and, and all these things that like shows our right to do this, this, or this, or this. And so many people want to be united under love or under peace. And the only problem with that is that we get to define peace or love however we want. And Jesus' heart, God's heart, the Holy Spirit's heart, is that we never be united under anything other than Him. He is the love. He is the peace. Through us. In us. Um, you see, for those early disciples, those early believers, they got this eventually. And they didn't like figure it all out to be able to spell it out in a 700-page theology book or doctrine book. For them, there was this thing at the end of it, um, I believe, called a question mark. That they didn't have it all figured out. And, and, and the, the New Testament even talks about this, is that there are the mysteries of God. Um, I heard recently that if you've got God figured all out, you can put them in a box. That's not God. Can I explain it away? Can I put a period at the end of the sentence that this right here, that's God. This is what He does and this is only what He does. Then that's not God. And in this moment, it proves it. 
And in this vintage church, it proves it. Under the depth and the understanding that there are things that we don't understand. And there are things that we cannot see coming. And there are ways that he's going to use you and I. And there's things he's going to teach us and surprise us with. He will always be one million steps ahead of us, but yet so near that he wants us to come with him. He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to confuse us. He's not trying to catch us off guard, but he is God. And we are not. He he is infinite, and we are finite. He is eternal, and our bodies are not eternal, if you haven't experienced that lately or felt that lately. Our souls are eternal, though. And I think this is where we have to step out of the natural, and we have to receive what is supernatural via our soul. You see, I'm really excited about what the Lord can do to your body. Um, we could park there too for a while. I'm really excited about that. Um, you know what I'm more excited about? What God can do for your soul. And sometimes he uses healing and, and things going on with your body to get your soul's attention. And what Jesus did dives into so much deeper than just, hey guys, just pray this prayer and it's all good. Like he was way past that. He was after their soul. He's after your soul because your soul is eternal. And your soul, by faith, is the only thing that actually can comprehend what's happening. And I was just like imagining, like, what is God like? What, how do we describe what is happening here? And this, this whole idea of, in verse 12, it says, what does this mean? What does this mean? What is God doing? What is he trying to do in our homes, in our churches, in our communities? What is he trying to do in in our own heart? (laughs) How many of you have been um, swimming in the ocean? Raise your hand nice and high. If you've swam in the ocean, okay? It's a lot of people, majority of people. Do you guys know what's in the ocean? Sharks. Uh, there's things that probably can eat sharks and squids that could eat sharks that are things that eat sharks and all kinds of things. Um, mysterious and th- like darkness like the, like that we could never experience. Down, down, down. But when you jump into the ocean, now I'm assuming most of you have been swimming at a beach and you can like put your feet in and you're like, I'm swimming in the ocean. Like, like it's not like... You know, but some of, some of you, some of us have been in a spot where you don't see the ocean floor. And, it, and you know that it's like maybe even in a tropical place, it's beautiful on the top. Maybe even like an aqua in a blue color. And it's a beautiful day. You're like, I love the water. And you jump in, right? You have the time of your life. But there's, I don't care who you are, there's this moment, whether it's a split second or like me, and it, it's more than a split second, and it makes you get out of the water. You're swimming along, having the time of your life, and you go underwater, and you look down, and you're like, oh my goodness. I have no idea what's down there. I mean, even in a lake creeps me out sometimes. Like, no idea what's happening down there. Um, here's the thing. It takes some risk to do that. And it is a moment for you to have the time of your life. And is there legitimate things down there that could, like, potentially ruin your day? Yeah. Um, 
more importantly, are there things down there that, that could change your life? Yeah. That you can't explain? Yeah. But you still jumped in. And, 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 and God ultimately doesn't have sharks waiting, and I'm not using that comparison or analogy, but what I am saying is that there are, there are people here today that have not and won't jump in the depth of all that God is and the beauty of all He is and have the time of your eternal life with Him because you don't know what's ultimately down there. And can I just tell you <laughs> that it's way better in there than it is out here. And that ultimately God is going to give you life for eternity and healing for eternity and power for eternity. Past what we could ever build on our own or bring on our own. Jump in the water and you may not have it all figured out. Well, guess what? Nobody here does. And there's tons of mystery. And there's tons of things that we know and researchers and scientists have looked and seen what is in the ocean. But fully, no one actually has a full capacity, an idea. And you could spend your whole life trying to find what's ultimately in the ocean. You could spend your whole life trying to find the bottom and the treasures of God. Almighty, almighty God. But you won't find the bottom because He's so big and He's so mighty and He so loves you. And He's inviting you to this opportunity to jump in. That day, when they spoke and they heard of their own language, guess what? I don't even think, I think God's a little bit like, whoa, bro, you're only giving half the story. I think he's like, so what? They heard their own language. For him, do you, know, do you want to know what the miracle in God's eyes was? And I'm not trying to be funny, and it is a little humorous, but I think the miracle that day wasn't so much that they heard their own language, is that they truly decided to be unified because they stepped out of their own stubbornness to explain who God is. And they stepped into this side that's like, I'm all in and like I, I'll run after God and I'll study His Word and I'm coming to church and I'm going to be discipled and I'm going to run after God in, in, in my home and my church and my city for the rest of my life. But there is a small question mark at the end of like, I'm not fully sure of the ultimate mysteries of God. I don't know what it's like in heaven. <laughs> I know a few things of what the Word talks about, but I don't know what it's like. And it's okay not to know because there's room for that. God invites you to his mystery of things that aren't explained. This is a big book, and I'd encourage you strongly to search and swim as far down as you can for the rest of your life. But you got to also know that these disciples, just like you and me, they jumped in not knowing fully what was about to happen. And they were A-okay with that. Scared? Yes. Full of the fear of God? Yes. Inadequate? Oh my goodness. And welcome to the club. So are we. And so you come in this room, I want you to be encouraged because you're not just you. You're God if, by your faith in Jesus Christ and receiving by faith that Holy Spirit to fill you. You aren't just ordinary. You aren't just that person that did that Tuesday and Friday. You're that person that God wants to resurrect and bring alive today in this moment. I want to invite you literally to, like, in your own life, to rise up and get past where you're at and launch into the deep of what God's calling you to be, which ultimately is not about you. It's about Him. But those guys that day were unified because of one thing. They got out of their stubbornness. And they're like, you know what? I, I don't know what it's like to follow God. I don't know what it's like to experience what's happening right now. 
But here I am. Open hands, arms open, running after you, God. And that was not just an ordinary day. That changed everything. I ultimately think that there are these moments where in, in our culture, as they were launching out to change the world and spread the gospel and proclaim the truth, and we are to do the same. We're supposed to go and to make disciples in this city, in our workplaces, in our homes. You know what I ultimately think God's asking us to do? <laughs> not necessarily just speak their language. It's not what we're ultimately called to do. Sometimes it requires us to speak their language. You know what I mean by that. I don't mean necessarily like English or Spanish, like although it requires that as well. I mean, <laughs> be like their culture. Like I think there's situations that absolutely require that. But you know what's deeper? You know what the miraculous thing that God wants in, in our lives as we go, as they went? Listen, he wants us ultimately to speak to their understanding, the, simple, the simplicity of the gospel and the depth of his mercy and grace on their life. And so sometimes it does require us to come down and, and, and be a part and speak their language. But way more importantly, it's about understanding. <laughs> if you have a phone and if, how many of you ever used talk to text? Talk to text, uh, you know, are you familiar? Keep your hands up, I'm curious. Like, so, <laughs> you can put your hands down, a lot of you. How many of you have been in a spot where you said something and it didn't say what you said and it got sent? And then whether you realize at the moment or later, uh, that's not what you said? Like, sometimes it gets you in a really awkward spot, or sometimes they'll say something, talk to text, and send it to you, that you press the button, and you speak, and it's supposed to get what you're saying, and, and it, it's like, like, I hate to put him on the spot, but uh, Pastor Ben, when he does this all the time, uh, he always talks about Jill, and it always comes across Joe. <laughs> you, did you say Joe, too? Yeah, I love it. I love it. We all have these moments where we speak, and it didn't get... It didn't come on the other end of the understanding of what was really meant. God's not, he doesn't want you to get lost in the tongues or the fire. He doesn't want you to get lost in like the whole language thing. The ultimate miracle in this moment was that, that in that day, he spoke through those men to the understanding of the people that heard it. You know we're responsible more than even living the gospel and speaking the gospel is making the gospel clear and understandable. We're responsible for that. So I want to encourage you that, like, you feel like you've dropped the ball on that. You feel like, man, I don't, this is too big for me. I can't do that. What he's asking you to do is live and live to a place where you can speak to that text and you can speak to that life. Now what ultimately requires you to make that text go through the right way? What does it require you to do when you hit that button? It requires you to slow down and speak slowly and clearly sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Are you with me? Have you ever heard somebody doing it and you're like, why are they talking like that? Because Siri can't understand you. 
And like I think sometimes when this world talks about the church, and they talk about the vintage church, and they talk about the church is just a place of hate, and they won't receive me. I think that's a moment where we press sin, we pressed sin when we shouldn't have. We should have proofread that. In our life, and so sometimes we need to slow down. And we need to speak, like, maybe slowly, but I'm not saying we need to speak slowly for people as if they don't get it. But for the translation, sometimes they see stuff that isn't really real. And they need to see the real Jesus. And they need to see the real Holy Spirit and power and might in our lives. So I would invite you, if anything else, from just a, a, an edifying point today, to be encouraged in the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. Be filled with joy and peace in your face, in your heart, in your actions, in your marriage. As a parent, you're struggling with addiction, you're struggling with discouragement, you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with everything, every direction. Hold fast to what is good. Receive the Holy Spirit in your life. And let it flow that way rather than trying to attain and build up to God. Receive it today.